Alright everyone, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to the Hilliard Beacon. I am Jordan Smith, and I am joined as usual by my good friend... Tim Hoffman. And my other good friend... Kevin Corvo. Hey. Hey. I saw you at school today. How about that? I stuck my head in to ask a question and didn't even look to see who was at my left, and there's Tim. So we are running the same circle today. I was at Norwich Elementary School. May the 4th, and we're out there in the community... (laughs) touching base tim it was uh it was not a disciplinary call that took you into the school it was purely a a scheduling issue dropping off dentist dentist appointment (laughs) dang dentists we went to the dentist everybody loves the dentist even Mm -hmm. though it's gotten much better in the course of our lifetimes i would say i gotta i want to take this moment to unprovocated uh praise the smiley dental group where we've been going since we moved here uh, it's it's a very well run operation. Everybody's happy. That's how I know it's well run. Smile Every- Doctors Orthodontistry or this no? Is it's Smiley Dental, Dental Group. Okay, it's over on like Blazer Parkway, I think. Real real hot action surrounding smile related naming rights in the <laughs> dental space. Well, there was the dentist who started it was named Doctor Smiley. He's since retired. Oh. And he he was great. I loved him so much. I was sad when he retired, but they they brought in really good uh, folks. One of the dentists is a lady who she's either eight feet tall or my perspective was off because I was laying back in the chair, <laughs> or the gas was on. <laughs> no, 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 I never no. needed okay. never needed gas for dentistry. Welcome to May Fourth, everybody. Uh, and uh, Tim is for the pain uh, variety of dentistry. That's now official and on the record. Yep, pain. But uh, this is Hilliard Beacon Audio Companion number eleven, following up on a uh, very successful Audio Companion ten, where we talked about Agora Market. Thank you, right up top, to all vendors and people that came out to make uh, the first Agora of the season very very successful and very fun for everybody i wanted to say again thank you to the pop-up pickers jody and matt in particular those guys the organizers the uh, impetus behind getting us together with them was uh one of pure admiration those guys really knew what they were doing and you could see it end to end in the execution of the thing and we're excited to continue the collaboration the next market will be the 20th of may and we're excited to bring that to you right here at franklin street creative and after that there are more dates in the pipeline throughout the rest of the summer so i'm sure that will excite and uh titillate all of you out there market goers who are looking to see something new fresh and exciting here in hilliard so Thank you again to all participants and all attendants. We really appreciate it. I dropped by there, so it's a pretty eclectic and unique and um, things there. So yeah, if you're all buying gifts, Mother's Day as well. If you're buying gifts in the summer for some other holiday, I was going to say you're going to have to use the old DeLorean. Go ahead to the twentieth, <laughs> get that Mother's Day gift, yep. and then travel back in time to deliver it uh, by the actual date. Of Mother's Day, which is what is it this year? The fourteenth. Fourteenth. Yes. All right. So uh, let that be reminded all of you out there. Say hi to moms. That's ten days. Yes, ten days to go. Everyone, focus, 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 men Uh, and women, Um, children, and children. Uh, Yes, especially children. Work hard for your fathers in this time of need Uh, and mothers. So uh, 
let's move right into everything here. We've got a lot to cover this week. We are going to be talking about two pieces this week. First uh, is our resetting of our ongoing Hilliard Beacon election coverage, which is exciting to be uh, a part of and kicking off here this season. Uh, we are going to go over the issuing primaries piece, and then we'll also go into a piece that we'll probably publish huh, as we are recording this uh, that is a follow-up to Kevin's earlier report on Dublin Road development, um, and that will cover a 256-unit apartment complex that is slated to go in on the west side of Dublin Road. Uh, by developers Rock Run LLC. We'll get to all that in just a moment. That piece will be going up behind a paywall. So uh, let's talk briefly about this new structure. Uh, we've talked right from the beginning as we're starting to learn how Substack works and how we can put things together. We're comfortable with each other. We can now have a pretty streamlined process between delivery of a text document and publication of that document. And this guy, this guy Kevin, mm. he wrote for 24 years, and he wants to write more. Uh, so we're going to start putting out secondary pieces throughout the week, and those are going to be uh, behind the paywall. In order to get behind that paywall, you'll need to subscribe to one of our very uh, reasonable options for a subscription service to the Beacon. It's $5 monthly or uh, $55 for the year, yep. annual. And then there's also still, I believe, a uh, founder's subscription option, which is quite uh, generous, and we've had a couple of those, and it's very welcome. Mm -hmm. um, you can join us at any of those three levels and gain access to everything we'll ever put out in this channel. Uh, so there is no... Um, kind of guideline behind what makes the the paywall articles and what makes the free articles, but we are 100% committed to producing free weekly content in the form of a written piece and the audio companion as the primary driver of this thing. Right, and the articles that we do about City Council, Board of Education, those are ones that we're not going to put behind the paywall. Right. Things that go behind the paywall will be things that are are less crucial for citizens to know, like certain development stories. Uh, I mean, even within the city, regional stuff within different areas of the city, right? That right. aren't necessarily public first. Right. But Both the new business openings, stories, features. business stories, yeah, business <clears throat> stuff, uh, interviews with local people, yes. those kinds of things. Uh, are the kinds of things we'll put behind the paywall because we believe strongly that um, reporting on the city government is critical and we're committed to making that available free of charge. Right. Um, the extra stuff that we would love to do, we're going to put that behind the paywall um, just to encourage people to support what we're doing. Yeah, the adoption rates. Because what we've done so far is create a model where people's kind subscriptions have been subsidizing the free reporting mm -hmm. that everybody's getting. Mm -hmm. But at any point in time, you get to the, to the stage of development where 
people get used to the stream of information mm -hmm. and comfortable with the rate of exchange, which if you're a free subscriber, you have never encountered something on the Hilliard Beacon that you couldn't read as a result of our existing patronage. Right. So now we're going to take a step forward. We're going to say thank you to our patrons who have gotten us to this point and also who now get to read these articles and uh, these other pieces that we're going to put together, this enriched content. Uh, but it's also an encouragement uh, for other people to join us at that level or comparable levels. There are also group rates and the ability to do gift subscriptions and other things. So if there are extreme circumstances or extenuating needs, you can always get in touch with us at the Hilliard Beacon Substack address. Mm -hmm. And we'll, we can work something out uh, where we figure out the best options to go forward for you. Make sure you get the things that you need out of this too. Uh, oh, and finally, uh, the last provision is that doesn't mean we can't drop the paywall on anything at any time whenever we want. So yes. if an article has a lot of heat behind it and a lot of demand to see it and read it, and if we get the right level of feedback from our paid patrons, we will drop that paywall. Or we will also, uh, you know, sometimes publish multiple free pieces per week above and beyond the standard, you know, depending on uh, what we want to put out there and whose eyes we want it in front of. So, this is just a new stage, and thank you for coming along to this point. It's Everyone. growth. It's, yes. It's growth. It's Gro growth. Growth and development. Growth, development, understanding. I'm just excited that we have been successful enough that this is a next step for us. Yeah. We're, okay, we're not decreasing the amount of free coverage. We're increasing the amount of stuff that we're doing. Right. And that is the direction we want to go. Yeah. Still focused on... Hilliard. So let's start there with a, the contest shaping up for the November general primary or the general election, excuse me. And uh, the article is titled Both Parties Issue Primary Contests This Cycle. Uh, this one's by Kevin and explores the dynamic that existed uh, leading up to the cancellation of the Republican primary on May 2nd and the race as it shapes up heading to the November 7th general. So, Kevin, take us through some of the early stages of reporting on this for the first time as the Hilliard Beacon. Well, Hilliard is one of the few suburbs in central Ohio that has a primary, and uh, that's a good example of what of a community journalism. I, I don't feel that the networks and larger media outlets are prone to cover an ordinary primary, and that was something that I'd always covered in the... 24 years I covered Hilliard, um, covering the primary was something I did each each cycle. Um, in Hilliard, in fact, uh, the primary, Republican primary, often served as a de facto general election. Uh, there were many times that the primary was contested, and once it was reduced to the minimum number of candidates for open seats, you had uncontested general elections more often than not, because mm -hmm. no Democrats were running. Uh, so... That was just an anomaly in how things worked in Hilliard, and it made the primary election many years important because you pretty much decided who your city council members were in the primary. It was the hotter cycle because yeah, after the, cycle. It, the glide path was essentially mm -hmm. established. Absolutely. I see. So I apologize for not following up with the Board of Elections because it was April 3rd when uh, Greg St. Clair informed the Board of Elections that he was withdrawing. Uh, the board took um, action, of course, to accept his withdrawal, 
and they also then needed to certify the remaining primary candidates to the ballot, and they did that. So it, it was early April, um, although I did not follow up to check on that, so it wasn't until maybe five or six days before the election that I realized there was no primary May 2nd. So uh, the three Republican candidates and the three Democrat candidates uh, will be on the ballot November 8th. There are three open seats. November 7th? November 7th. Tuesday, November 7th. Um, the uh, ca- the seats up for re-election are uh, Omar Tarazi, the council president, uh, Councilman Pete Marsh, uh, two Republicans, and one Democrat, Cynthia Vermillion, is up for re-election. Uh, the, the other candidates um, challenging are um, one, re- one Republican uh, is challenging, J.T. Yesoldike. Right, um, who is a le- who is a legislative aide in the Ohio House of Representatives, um, a recent graduate, 2018, I believe, of Darby High School. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Jordan. He's got the story pulled up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are your three Republicans. And then you have Greg Betts, uh, who Bradley is- High School. Bradley. Bradley High School. Sorry. Sorry, Bradley. 2018. High school. Bradley High School. There's um, three now. <laughs> what happened? High schools. <clears throat> what happened? So, yeah. Uh, uh, Greg Betts is a Democrat candidate along with Emily, Emily Cole. Emily Cole, yes. So, three seats are up in the seventh. Two are currently occupied by Republicans Marsh and Tarazi. The third by Democrat Vermillion. Each party has three candidates seeking those three seats. Incumbents Marsh, Tarazi, and new candidate Isseldike on the Republican side of things. And then... On the Democrat side of things, we have Vermillion sitting, uh, seeking second term, and new challengers, uh, candidates Cole and Betts. So equal chances. Equal chances, equal odds. Uh, essentially, we've seen historically over the last several election cycles, as you were mentioning, mm-hmm. previously it was a rarity for Democrats to even consider even running. Even beyond the ballot. Not even have to concern themselves in essence, with a primary, because if one or two sought the seat, if three are up, they automatically qualify, and then on through. So let's talk real quick about uh, primaries, what we gain, what we lose by skipping elections, right? Sure. We are getting into these things, and if not for us, if not for Kevin, more specifically, doing actual reporting, talking to people, scheduling interviews getting quotes, and putting folks on the record, small races like this uh, wouldn't be covered at this time of year, period, uh, let alone uh, analyzed going forward, right? Sure. I think that's the exciting part of the Hilliard Beacon this time around. We're going to have an opportunity, and there's going to be literally no excuse behind people seeking office, avoiding a conversation with us, or avoiding an interview with Kevin, that spotlights, highlights, lets them talk about whatever they want to talk about, gives us an opportunity to solicit questions and get this process in. But without a primary, uh, there is no open contention among the party's members that are seeking office mm-hmm. to have to define themselves at this point, right? That's true. You've got the sitting incumbents who have that advantage and have their record, which they have to run on, Mm -hmm. and their plans for the future, which 
Marsh credits wanting to uh, see through the community plan and kind of cement the vision. Omar wants to uh, commit to the recreation center and uh, <clears throat> sharing certain uh, other goals with, uh, let's see, what's he say? Uh, yeah, including the construction and goals of the first term. Okay, so uh, some JT, of that's just boilerplate. GT has shared uh, some of his goals too, which I'll incorporate into future coverage. Yeah, and you know they talk about different things in in kind of generic terms, but they're not talking about it between themselves. They're not hashing out where they stand relative on the spectrum mm-hmm. of Republican governance. Democrat governance, however you want to term those things, we're not getting that picture yet. So I'm excited to get us into this process and try to suss out some of that stuff before November so people that are voting have more than just these brief bullet points Mm -hmm. far in the past. Uh, I want to build coverage and intensity to November, Mm -hmm. and I hope you guys are on board with that. Mm. Absolutely. I am. You know. I, I can think of topics as they come up during the summer that could be used as jumping-off points for views on their roles as city council members. Um, and one of those might be the relationship of city council with the city manager, which we can discuss a little bit later in this podcast, because that came up in the conversation of whether or not to have that investigation into uh, the termination of Dave Landy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One council member pretty much thinks the city manager should be left alone, to do the job and another council member thinks that city council ought to have a little more oversight and at least asking questions into how a city manager does the job yeah and how will these candidates relate to that the new candidates coming in and seeking mm-hmm. those offices because as we talked about you know as it, you know Pete Marsh has said and he's been very vocal about that is that he thinks that there there's a a path forward here with the city manager but it's not with the the direct input of council regarding actions taken by the manager that they were hired to take essentially right um you know uh the let her cook argument um as someone who's been hired and contracted uh there are plenty of opportunities down the line to evaluate that contract and he's arguing that now is not the time how will the new candidates define themselves relative to that stance relative to other stances that uh you know people might take um I'm, I'm interested to see how that shapes up and how willing people are to go on record, how willing people are to define themselves to a publication like us, to probably the most interested user base in this town. Right. Right. The people that have adopted the beacon are here because they want this information and they're going to act on it. So I'm curious to see how people are willing to interact with this, this thing. You know, the candidates. Yeah. You know, and we're, you know, we're not here to play gotcha games. We're here to absolutely have uh, good faith conversations with folks to find out what they're about, what they want to do. And, um, you know, in a, in a town like this, to want to run for city council is admirable. And the people that take time out of their lives to do that work... Deserve our appreciation, they and deserve, they also mm-hmm. deserve a full evaluation and a chance to actually govern. And that means taking stances on things mm-hmm. and defining what they think is uh, the legitimate goal that they're pursuing. 
uh, what the legitimate goals that city government is pursuing. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about how candidates might uh, pursue those things, mm-hmm. and it. I think people want to hear that defined. I think people want to be told that people have an idea of what they want done before they go in. Right. Uh, I think it's, so. It's interesting to see what happens uh, when essentially people just choose from things on retail mm-hmm. versus when people go in with a constructive vision uh, for ambitions that they have for the office. So it'll be interesting. It'll be exciting. Kevin, so you got too. anything else to add? Um, not to that, no. Um, I, I've, uh, the number of people that came to the meeting, I, I know some were there uh, to, 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 to support Dave DeLandy, but still to, to see the reaction from the audience who thought city council should take an interest in this, that, that I hope and I believe some of them felt the same way regardless of who the subject was, mm-hmm. that they felt city council ought to be a little more involved in what's going on in the city. And I was glad to see that those uh, residents um, supported that. And and perhaps, I don't know how they felt, a couple members of city council abstained from voting. And I also kind of got the sense that some of these some of these people in the audience thought, no, make a decision. This is your decision, city council. Um, so that's two things I kind of saw happen. And I don't always see that kind of reaction, that kind of call for support that city council, you know, take a stand on something. And as we move toward um, our second topic of discussion, 200 people there for that Dublin Road meeting. And I, I, there are times I've seen 200 people show up for something related to development, but not always. I mean, more often than not, I can tell you that I've written stories many times in the past, and it starts in planning and zoning, and it moves through its stages, and this goes on for six months, eight months, ten months. Finally... You know, a front loader shows up and starts pushing dirt. And somebody says, what are you doing? I didn't know this. And I'm thinking, I wrote about this six months ago. I mean, I was at a city council meeting once, and a resident came and said, when did this happen? Why is this happening? I didn't know anything about it. You know, he wrote about it six months ago, and they're pointing to me. So that was also a reminder that there weren't always people interested in reading, um, you know, local news publications. Obviously, they didn't read that story I'd written beforehand. But I am heartened to see um, some of the turnouts at City Council, even the Board of Education meetings. Uh, in the recent, just in the past two years, I've, there's more times I've seen people at City Council um, debating, uh, often on opposing sides about something. But still, it, it brought people out. Um, they, they, they want to know what their Board of Education is doing, what's going on in the schools, what's going on in the city, and what development's happening. And, and I'm seeing more people in the general population interested in knowing and learning about that. I think it's encouraging to our mission that people seem thirsty for that kind of engagement. And I believe that the roots of local democracy can be resuscitated and rejuvenated, even losing elected positions like mayor we have within still the structures of government the ability to reconfigure a lot of these systems to better serve people. Like, we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, article that's behind the paywall regarding the Dublin development now. And 
the headline that we're going with here is along familiar lines, local residents rush to marshal forces and contend with developers, hmm. right? This is a story that for as much detail and nuance as Kevin puts in it and as much quote uh, quotes he gets from the residents that were there and some of the great information that's on offer from this developer, believe it or not, full schematics of site plans, conceptualized site plans, are available in the article, linked in the article, uh, the full article. We describe some of the conflicts that are already arising. Split school district, potentially between two sites, again. Um, no amenities beyond, no, no commercial component now. Is that a advantage in the eyes of Dublin Road residents, this SPOC group that has uh, brought themselves together and organi- or, uh, mobilized themselves in response to this, is that a good in their eyes? Is that a negative in their eyes? A lot of times we've heard from the city council that without commercial components, these residential developments don't work. I don't mm. believe that. I don't believe that either. <laughs> uh, I think there should be places for people to live, and I think developers should uh, charge real uh, costs for that and not crank up rents to $3,000 a month, which, again, some of the figures that Kevin describes in this well-sourced piece. Um, getting back to the overall point I was making about the structure of government and what remains and what can be done is that there's a difference between mobilizing and organizing and the SPOC folks are in those early stages of reacting to mobilizing the people that they have there and trying to come to grips with what is now in front of them which is a developer that systemically and structurally has the annexation process and the rezoning process legally organizationally geared in their favor uh yeah the service provision agreements geared in their favor to get these things done because all these things are organized around doing development. So what do residents do in this case other than come together, feel this intensity, feel this crush and call to action, but it always plays out along these familiar lines. Mm -hmm. So what can we do with the structures of government that we have? What can we do with the systems of representation that we have to create meaningful change in outcome, and really all you can do is create more meaningful change in involvement, right? This can't start here over and over and over and over again where residents are called together in a rush and they have to bring their their barely organized neighborhood into, into existence on the floor of a, of a joint safety and services building and say, we stand in opposition to this, or we need more information to this, or whatever. I would argue that what we still have within our government is the ability to reorganize commissions, reorganize uh, systems of representation, so wards are more uh, foregrounded in the decision-making process, and people have recurring structures where they can meet on an ongoing basis and not just in response to perceived crisis. This gets into the larger Yimby NIMBY development, too. So talk, talk to me, Tim. Talk to me about how you're hearing about this stuff and how you're feeling it. Hit well, you. What we have happening here and looking through the draft of the development plan for Hilliard, the focus in Hilliard is going to be on infill development, more so than uh, in the past where Hilliard has grown 
more slowly and has kind of sprawled westward. Yeah, amoeba-like, kind of incorporating bits and chunks as we go west. Yeah. And so nobody cares if a field out near Plain City gets developed. Mm. Unless you live near... Some might. Unless you... But, but yeah. people on Dublin Road sure don't care. No. Yeah, different, different intensity of interest can pull together when you're dealing with 400 people, 200 people, 800 people, then a road of Correct. 15 rural residents right. or something. So the important right. thing that people, exactly. the people who live here need to realize is there is any one of these parcels that has been undeveloped for years and years is going to be in the crosshairs, not just of developers, but that is what the city government is pointing to, saying we need to, we need to work on these and make our city a little denser, maybe a little more bike and walk friendly. We need to we need to work on infill development rather than sprawl. And what that means is that infill development is coming to a neighborhood near you. This means that if that kind of thing uh, puts a, a a burr in your pants or whatever saddle under your saddle. a burr under your saddle, <laughs> then you need to be tuned into what is happening at the zoning meetings. And that is something that rarely do you see local coverage of that because it's frankly a little bit boring unless you live on that block. But I think sure. that's going to be important and I feel like that is something that I want to help provide through the beacon. Hey, uh, the the zoning the zoning board meetings, you know, what's going on? That is of interest to people now, especially now that we have this focus on infill development in and around Hilliard. That infill development in this instance is in the city of Columbus. So apart from SPOC, SBOC, mm-hmm. apart from their concerns about mm-hmm. this being built, mm-hmm. there's a whole other thing going on that the city of Columbus is responsible, or rather these infill developments more often than not, are going to be into the city of Columbus. Right. Not Hilliard, right. not Dublin, not Grove City. Well, the reason being... Columbus. And that does not sit well necessarily with the local governments of those cities. Sure, that makes sense. And I think those students go not to Columbus schools. They're not, not Southwestern, not Columbus schools. They're going to go to Hilliard, Dublin, I suppose Southwestern, mm-hmm. or other suburban districts, not Columbus. We're coming, I think, we're coming to the internecine connected nature of larger cities relating to smaller suburban cities when we talk about water taps and things like the old win-wins agreement and things of that nature where Hilliard is somewhat tapped out as far as available water structure is concerned, Mm -hmm. which means a lot of these bites that are being taken now will be taken, as Kevin said, by Columbus because Columbus is not under these limits. Columbus can provide, Columbus can extend right. their service uh, out into these spurs or pockets or whatever you want to term them. Uh, and interestingly enough, it's kind of moving things in the nature of the the peripheral city. Mm-hmm. It, if you look at that comprehensive plan, you come up against that reality that Hilliard is saying, we should be focused on infill development because they are understanding that their edges are in a large sense somewhat foreclosed because of those water agreements right because of uh, the ability to provide services doesn't exist in in the ways that they 
can just continue taking huge bites. They need to turn in and actually take advantage of what is already there, already owned. In some ways, the data center going inside of Darby is a peak example of that infill cutting and developing because it is wedged between a highway and a, and a roadway and all these other things in land that had previously been left untouched. Right. Um, slowly built into by the residential area over there, but for the last 20 years or so, no more residential development that no, Platts Lake area. Where they were building the data center, that was leased for agricultural purposes. Right. Until... It wasn't even configured residential zoning until no. it got turned into the warehousing zoning. What's it termed? I'm sorry, the term for that zoning that it got R1? No, not R1. No. Uh, I don't know what it got rezoned to. Some sort of light industrial. Yeah. <laughs> Significant industrial. Right. Have you been by there? It is too they're beating that They're beating that road up. There's going to there's gonna be potholes. Are you talking about next the side of the Darby one or, or the one off Leopard? Side of Darby and, and of Darby. 270. Okay. Yeah. Where the 270 passes us. over side sure. of Darby and the turn in the road. Because they're bringing heavy, heavy equipment in and out of there a lot. And that, that road's going to get tore up. Yeah. It, it's going through it. That beautiful new bike path. Uh, somebody who had been cutting a data cable uh, splice in there along that bike path, they cut two huge squares in and then filled them back in with asphalt. One just last week completely collapsed. Oh, great. Yeah, it <laughs> looks terrible and no one's doing anything about it. And I've already called the city. We'll get back to that another time. Uh, but that's what it means to be on the edges once again. Situations the other, on the edges. Can't the other really thing, figure out who's responsible for anything out there in the corners. The other thing that we have is just a feature of of the way it was set up is the jagged nature of the of the borders. Sure. Between between Columbus City, Norwich Township, well, and the city of Hilliard. That's a factor of annexation. Um, if you can only annex contiguous property, so nobody wants cut off. So everything goes out in these tentacles and fingers. It's confusing to look at a map to where all the jurisdictions are. You don't get this in Cleveland and Cincinnati because of the water features. At least I think that's why. Right. Uh, where Columbus can just keep growing out. Right. So. And, but the borders don't match. You know, you'd think no. maybe the borders would match up with major roads. They don't. No. Uh, it's it's confusing and it's very complicated. Go down Dublin Road and it's. It's Hilliard one side, Columbus one side, Norwich Township another place. It's right. You see the sounds, the signs. Welcome to Hilliard. Like every thirty feet, I was like, I thought we were already in Hilliard. They just said, Welcome to Hilliard. Blue signs, green signs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sign signs everywhere. Sign. Yeah, you pass in along Dublin Road, Columbus, Hilliard, Columbus Township. Back in Hilliard. Yeah, I noticed that. I noticed that. Uh, like, <clears throat> 20 years ago when I lived in Columbus before driving down that road I was like boy it sure changes cities back and forth a lot along this stretch and they let you know every time which I guess that's important mm-hmm. it's going to be uh, 19 buildings 19 right? buildings 256 units and 16 um, acres they even shared the number of one bedroom two bedroom and three bedroom apartments I have that here okay I think it, it is Complex. Oh no, it doesn't. It's include a mix of one, two, and three bedroom apartments. Would Somebody, result in a density of fifteen point seven units per acre. Correct. Development will have green space, but the location within the parcels has not been determined. Correct. 
they go on to say, I found this kind of interesting. The, the developer gave the number of three-bedroom apartments because somebody in the audience specifically asked the number of three-bedroom apartments, and it wasn't many. It was in, it was in the double digits. Um, Leasing rates are not firm, but can range as high as $3,000 per month. Small number of units running for as little as $1,000 per month. When asked to define, quote, affordable housing, a representative replied, none of the units were to be Section 8 housing or would rely on any subsidy from Columbus, uh, except from uh, supporting services. Uh, First proposed to have a commercial component, uh, the proposed development would have only apartments and supporting amenities for the residents. That's a dog park, a pickleball court, sand volleyball court, uh, which... Kind of like the Grayson, huh? A little bit, I think. Um, certainly some of the residents over on the Shire Cove side you know, thought that would be a pretty noisy thing to have over there, and they weren't too pleased to hear that. Um, yeah, a lot of your quotes... Um, you know, it got confrontational um, at times. Um, it did. Um, uh, several uh, people pointed out when they were discussing, you know, what is affordable housing um, at that at that price range for monthly rents. Some people thought that wasn't affordable housing, yeah. so they were questioning the developer. Not that anybody wants to see sex; they do not want to see Section Eight homes. But they were also challenging and questioning the developer. Claiming, hey, we want, we want to build here because we want to bring affordable housing well, to this community. This isn't affordable housing either. So right. I'm not buying your I'm not buying your explanation as to why you're yes. choosing to develop where you are. It doesn't it doesn't fit with the stated purpose of trying to actually bring affordable housing. Now they don't want that either, but. <laughs> You know, they're going to use they're going to use whatever levers they have to hand. I think their point is going to be there. How many units? There are plenty of people who can afford this housing. I mean, uh, there are plenty of people that can afford it. There are plenty of people that can afford that kind of housing without actually living in it. And that's that's going around and needs more investigation. And I don't know what our occupancy rates are versus what our rented rates are, Um, but. Uh, those type of things are for the future. This is what happened uh, when Kevin went and attended a joint meeting between uh, developers and local residents wondering what the future holds over at the uh, Joint Safety and Services Building on Monday. So, Kevin, thank you for those two excellent reports this week. We really appreciate it. Thank you. They have not set a second meeting yet. The developer is on the record saying they, they will bring back something a little different. Sure. Um, uh, it was also pointed out, um, and, and actually this was conversations, a lot of things were said, I could just hear what was being said around me. No one set up and said this publicly, but there was all kinds of side conversations that went on that I could hear. And several of those uh, were along the lines of, this developer had, is, he's presenting this, what, was termed an outrageous proposal. So when he backs off that, then we'll say, "Okay, you changed it." And they'll. And it, it, this is what I was hearing others say. They felt this was a tactic by the developer to bring something bigger than what they really want to do. And when they reduce some of these numbers, it'll look like they concessed or, or made concessions. Standard strategy in almost every industry. Every negotiation. Yeah. 
the one that I think is that the was best not said publicly. Sure, right. the one that I think is usually the best and the funniest is the one where they do in the creative spaces where they do the insane edit of the film in order to draw the censors to the truly insane bits that they actually lay in there to get cut out so right. that they let other things go through and don't uh, you know really bite the teeth in to other more substantive parts of the film or whatever. Or like when I tell my wife, I'm gonna buy five guitars. This is back in that <laughs> this is back in that whole probe and retreat. Probe and retreat. Probe and retreat. Well and again that common dance, uh, you know, what do what do some of these candidates maybe have in uh, the tool belt? There are ways all across this country in place that make use of citizen commissions and citizen meetings and ward structures that alter this flow this process of development that make it more accountable that make it more um, organized around things that people deem important locally if you can create a meaningful demand for certain things it's going to stand up better than a reaction to somebody out there putting shovels in the ground hmm. you know people will always say uh, plan your community, be intentional, organize, organize, organize. And I say that too, and I think that's extremely important. But what I'll tell you is that in the present deployment of our resources and our government, we don't have the structures to engage with as people to provide that meaningful organization and pushback and structure around some of these things that happen in our community and in our neighborhoods. So... My advice to all these candidates would be uh, figure out how to do that and then uh, take over the world and all the rest of it. So beyond those two pieces this week, final thank you to all Agora participants and to uh, my partners here, Tim and Kevin, for helping us put this on and do this meaningful work ongoing every week for you guys. Uh, I would say, again, that my part in this is all pretty minimal, and Kevin and Tim... Are putting in a lot of work trying to come to this with a, a really committed heart and mind and spirit towards getting you guys out there in the listening audience uh, good, actionable, strong information that you can count on week in and week out for Hilliard and the surrounding area. So thank you again. We'll see you next week. This has been another Hilliard Beacon audio companion for May 4th, 2023.